All right, so today we're going to have a scripture reading. We're going to be reading from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. So if you want to turn with me there, I'm going to read from the ESV, which I normally read from the NASB, so this is going to be kind of odd for me. Give everybody a second to get there. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and begin here. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the other two of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into their boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw charcoal fire in place, with fish laid, on it, laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to him, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved but he, because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where, do you, not, where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Let me take just a second and pray for us. Father, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear. That as, um, as Brad brings your word to us, Father, that our hearts would be open, that we would understand how to love you is by loving people. So thank you for your word. Amen. All right, we've been studying the Gospel of John now for over a year, and uh, we're going to wrap it up in the next, I think next week, next Sunday most likely. And um, as we look at John 21 today, this is a story that is probably familiar to many of you. In fact, we visited this story, we jumped ahead in the story um, a couple of months ago, and we looked at, at this story, and we're going to revisit it today. And I think that Peter's story is absolutely critical in the life of all believers. I'm actually really excited about this message today. I'm excited to share it with you because if there's a big idea for this, this text today, and I don't have it on the screen for you, but if you're taking notes, 
the big idea is this. Believing in Jesus and following Him are not the same thing. Let me say that again. Believing in Jesus and following Him are not the same thing. Peter believed when he saw the resurrected Jesus. Seeing was believing for him. But there was healing that needed to take place in Peter's life for him to be able to follow Jesus. And when Peter received Jesus' forgiveness, when Peter was assured of Jesus' love for him, he began to follow Jesus and God showed him amazing authority and power. In fact, there was fruitfulness for the kingdom of God that flowed from Peter's life in an extraordinary way when he received healing from Jesus. So today, if you're here and if your faith needs to be activated, if you are sluggish and depressed when it comes to your faith, if, if you're feeling faithless or hopeless or discouraged or unmotivated, this story is for you. You're in the right place because Jesus desires to heal you today. So let's jump into this story. Look back at verse 1, and I'm going to invite you to keep your Bibles open, whether that's your phone app or a paper Bible, because we're going to look at several passages in the New Testament today. John, uh, John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed or manifested himself in this way. So Jesus, if you remember, appeared on the day of his resurrection first to Mary Magdalene. And he appeared to a woman, which was surprising in this day and time. She couldn't have served as a witness in court. Uh, and that helps us to even authenticate, like, this story seems to be real history because it would make no sense to appear to a woman. And he appears first to Mary Magdalene and then to the ten in a locked room. And then eight days later to Thomas. And Jared walked through that story uh, last week. And for many of the disciples, seeing was believing. But that doesn't mean that the disciples' faith was activated in a way that they were producing fruit in their lives. And you see that in their story. And I think sometimes we have a little bit of trouble really understanding how difficult this was. But the idea of resurrection is so clear to us because we know the story. But for them it would have been almost like someone saying, I've cloned myself. This isn't really me. This is my clone. There's two of me now. And you saying, that's impossible. Show me the other clone or yourself. Show me both of you. Like we, we wouldn't even have really a concept for what that was like. And that's essentially where the disciples are. They're still trying to wrap their brains around this idea of resurrection. And Jesus revealed and manifested himself in this passage he did it in a way that would be personal and specific, especially to Peter. So I want to get really personal from the beginning so that you don't get lost and think this is just a Bible story that doesn't really apply to you. I want to ask you a personal question. Do you believe that Jesus is still revealing Himself today through the Holy Spirit in personal and specific ways to you? Because if you don't, you won't be able to follow Him. And if you don't, you won't see Him. And that's a problem. 
I'm convinced that the majority of church attenders haven't experienced, I think they have experienced seeing Jesus and believing in God at some level. The majority of church attenders. They've seen their need for Jesus because of some point of desperation in their life. Whether it was a really quick moment in time or a season in time. And so they were desperate and they recognized that they maybe were a sinner and that they needed a rescuer. And they believed in the truth of the good news. But believing and being a disciple who walks in the way of Jesus is not the same thing. And Peter's story illustrates that. The life of a disciple is simple, but it isn't easy. It's about much more than making a decision about Jesus. Okay? The church has taught us that following Jesus is all about making a decision for Jesus. And that's true. That's the ABCs of the Christian faith. But there's much more to the alphabet than ABCs. Imagine how limited our language would be if, all, if we had no vowels. If all we had was ABC. And for many people in the church, their spiritual lives are so limited because they have reduced following Jesus to simply believing on Him. Faith is never a one-time decision, but it's an ongoing relationship in which we continue to believe and walk in obedience to all the Holy Spirit calls us to do. And if we don't do this, the results are people who claim to be Christians, who ascribe to the truths of Jesus without walking in the way of Jesus. Now think about that. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some of our missional communities are studying a curriculum and... Um, it's about hurry and it's, what's it called? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, this last week we got to a point where we really started looking at John 14, 6 in which Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the problem with that for most Christians is that they believe that Jesus is the truth. But they rarely follow Him in the way. And Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. And coming to the Father isn't a one-time event. It's a one-time event in which we come to know Jesus. And we're saved and sealed because of the Holy Spirit. And then we walk in Him, in relationship. Continuing to follow Him in the way, in the truth, and experiencing His life. If we don't do this, the results are people who claim to be Christians, who ascribe to the truths of Jesus without walking in the way of Jesus. So, their knowledge is great, but their faith is dead. And I would say that's most people who claim to be believers and church attenders today. But Peter shows us, I hope you're a little discouraged by now. Anybody feeling discouraged? I'm trying to discourage you. I need, some of you to, I need you to feel discouraged, okay? I just said the majority of you don't really follow Jesus. I need you to be discouraged. Or, or come and storm the pulpit and, you know, fight with me. I, I need something here. So, I'm trying to discourage you because what keeps people from walking in the way of Jesus and experiencing kingdom authority is healing. 
And I think for most people who aren't following in the way of Jesus, they need to be healed. Just like Peter needed to be healed. Because we're going to look at this story. We're going to jump in it right now. When Peter receives healing, he moves from the sidelines to being back in the game. And he is active and alive. And he is purposeful and he is energized. Okay? So let's look at this story. Look at verses 2 and 3. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I said it that way, I'm going fishing, because I, this is the beginning of a good country music song. I don't know what else to do. Jesus is dead. He's been resurrected. We don't know what's going on. I'm going fishing. I'll come too. Okay, and so Peter and six other disciples decide that they're going to go out and go fishing. And we can't know for certain Peter's state of mind. So if you read commentaries on this, they'll say, don't make too big a deal out of this. And then others will say, this is a big deal, that Peter's going fishing. Has he abandoned the faith? And all these different questions. I just read the scriptures, and usually what comes to mind as the obvious uh, interpretation is oftentimes the simple and obvious interpretation. And if you read this story, you never see Peter fishing. Name one time. Okay, you can't name one time. If you go back and look, Matthew 17, uh, Jesus is asking questions about paying taxes, and he says, render to Caesar what Caesar's, and render to God what's God. And he says, Peter, go stick a hook in the water. You're going to catch a fish. There's going to be a coin in the fish's mouth. Take the coin out and pay our taxes. And so Peter does that. It's the only time that I've been able to find when the disciples begin to follow Jesus, that we see them fishing. And so something has happened in Peter's life, it would seem, it doesn't seem that these men resemble spirit-empowered men on mission after the resurrection, does it? Like, it doesn't seem like if you've just seen the risen Savior, that your next thought would be, we have just seen a man rise from the dead. I think we should go fishing. Like, the two don't really coordinate. And so, my guess is that Peter and the disciples are kind of just taking control of their lives. And that's what we tend to do whenever we get frustrated with God, or angry with God, or in which we're fearful. You know, we, we just tend to take control of our lives. And we'll do that by uh, means like, that will end us in a place of addiction. We might merely do it by just like furiously cleaning our house. But there's, you, you can notice in your life when you are taking control, when your heart is becoming hard and you are not trusting God. And I think that's what the disciples are experiencing. This is a picture of seven disciples being led by Peter. So Passover's over. It's a week later. They've all gone back to what's comfortable and what makes sense. And I wonder how many Christians mistake following in the way of Jesus for doing what seems comfortable and what makes sense according to cultural norms. Let me say that again. I wonder how many Christians mistake following in the way of Jesus for doing what seems comfortable and what makes sense according to cultural norms. Because following Jesus rarely makes sense in earthly wisdom, but it produces extraordinary results in the kingdom of God. Think about the story of Jericho that we just, just saw. 
I think sometimes we make the Old Testament out to be more than it needs to be. I mean, even a child can understand it. What was, what was the whole point of this? I was just sitting there listening to the story of Jericho and just being reminded. It's as simple as God saying, if you obey me, no matter how crazy the thing is that I'm in, not just inviting you to do, but commanding you to do, if you obey me, you will see extraordinary results. And when the children of Israel begin to walk in that way, like, what happened? How hard are our hearts that you could see a whole city destroyed by God by merely walking around it for seven days and blowing some trumpets and shouting, and then days and months and years later to believe that He's not powerful. But we do the same thing in our lives. It's why we need to be healed. And so... When we aren't following Jesus, our lives look a lot like Peter's. Look at verse 3. Did you notice the detail there? It takes a lot of study in order to interpret it. They caught nothing. That's what our lives look like when we're not following Jesus. And so, an easy way to figure out, am I following Jesus, is look at your life and see, is there fruit that's coming and a lot of times we say from our lives, I think we need to begin with our hearts. Is there fruit that's flowing from my heart? Do we see the fruit of the Spirit? Do we see love and faithfulness and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control? And Do we see that flowing from our heart? And if we do, that will impact the people who are around us because we will look really different. And they'll want to know what the difference is. Just like... Todd was hospitable to someone yesterday. And he was kind and it made a difference. And he, he made a new friend. And so, Peter caught nothing. And if you know the Gospels, you're instantly reminded when you see this story, you think back, Luke chapter 5, remember that story? As Jesus is calling the disciples, and they haven't followed him yet. And they've been fishing all night. And he says, hey, cast your nets on the other side. He says, cast out, actually he says, cast out into the deep and then put your nets down. And they go out into the deep and they put their nets down and they catch this enormous amount of fish, so much that the boat's about to sink. And James and John come over and what does Peter do? Falls to his knees. He says, I'm a sinner. He says, my Savior and my God. And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? I, and this is Peter's calling. He said, Peter, I'm going to teach you. You've been catching fish, but I'm going to teach you to begin catching men. Okay? Now, what's going on in this story today? Is Peter catching men? Uh, he's caught six other of his friends and he's misleading them and he's walking in the wrong direction. He's going back to fishing. And so pick up in verse 14 and listen to what happens when we begin following Jesus. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. Now, Okay, he goes on. He said, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. A lot of people struggle with this passage. They're like, why didn't they recognize Jesus? Well, first off, it's probably dark. He's 100 yards away. They can't see. And then other people wonder, well, why in the world did the disciples, why did they obey him if they didn't know it was him? And that's just, if you don't understand this passage, you've never been fishing. If you have fished all day, or in this case, all night, man, when you go fishing and you've caught nothing, 
you are just like instant depression. And it doesn't take much. Like fishermen are some of the, they believe in luck. And you can, if you've caught nothing, somebody can come up and say, hey, just take this, take this crazy jig, take this cricket, take whatever, and I bet you you'll catch a fish. You'll try anything. You're like, okay, what do I have to lose? I've caught nothing. I'm just angry. And so you'll, that's at least the way I fish, because I'm really impatient. I'm not a good fisherman. But the disciples, they're like, okay. So it's kind of like Jesus is just standing on the shore, and it's really casual. He's just saying, hey, lads, have you caught anything? And they're like, no. Well, cast your net on the other side, and I bet you'll catch a bunch. What do we got to lose? Now pick up in verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, so it's John, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Doesn't this sound like Peter? He's fishing in his tidy whities and he recognizes this Jesus, and he grabs, his, he grabs his outer coat, he puts it on, and he just swims to shore. He just caught 150 fish. Everyone else is struggling to get the nets in. And Peter just throws them all aside. And he swims to shore in order to meet Jesus. Now pick up in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that, that you've just caught. He said, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Peter hadn't changed. Jesus says, bring some of the fish you caught. Peter's like, I'll bring them all. And so he brings 153 fish. And, uh, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Don't you love the way that Jesus revealed himself to these disciples? He did it in a way that was so personal that they would recognize it could only be him. He revealed himself to them in the same way he had originally called them. And I think Jesus continues to do this today. In the same way that he had called them to follow him, he reinstates fellowship with them and he eats a meal. That he's prepared. Imagine, they are tired from fishing all night. They're worn out. Life without Jesus isn't working out. And Jesus prepares a meal and he serves them. He gives them food and strength and rest and fellowship. He even provides financial provision for them. 153 fish. This was an enormous catch. And Jesus is communing with his disciples. The same men whom he had washed their feet. Now just think about this. Just eight days after his resurrection. That means it's about 11 days or so after the Last Supper. If you go back to John 13 and you read, they misunderstood the whole feet washing thing. So Jesus washes their feet. He shows them what it means to be a servant. And Peter gets confused and he's like, not just my feet, Lord, but my hands and my head. And they miss out on the fact that Jesus is calling them to be servants. And he is displaying the way that he will be the greatest servant of all. And the fact that he will give his life as a ransom for many. And he will wash 
our hearts. And they miss it. And what do they do? They end up arguing with one another about who would be the greatest while Jesus is trying to teach them the most important lesson so far. Then they leave there. They go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. They've all eaten too much. They fall asleep. Jesus is sweating drops of blood. They're snoring. Then he's talked with Peter earlier back in John 13. And Peter says to him, I'll die for you. Jesus says, will you? You're actually going to betray me. You'll betray me three times before the rooster crows. And then what happens? Peter's courageous. He pulls out his sword. He chops off the ear of the high priest's servant. But his courage doesn't last. And he betrays Jesus. He literally curses him that he does not know him. Think about the disciples. They've abandoned Jesus. It's been 11 days. It's been less than two weeks. Their abandonment, their fear... You think they've got a little shame? Maybe just a little? Jesus is restoring fellowship through hospitality with His disciples. He's bringing healing and restoration to them so that they will continue to follow Him. And What Todd mentioned earlier about um, just tipping someone and... Uh, that, that's kind of a form of hospitality. What we see here is that Jesus is restoring fellowship by being hospitable. And that's a great way to do evangelism. That's probably the primary way that I do evangelism is through hospitality. And so I'll meet someone and I just hang out with them. I buy them lunch. I buy them coffee. I'm hospitable. I invite them over to my home. I'm not real good with meeting someone and for the first time sharing the gospel with them. But if they can become my friend over time, I'll have opportunity to share the gospel with them. And that's what Jesus does. And so if you say, I'm not good at evangelism, can you be hospitable? Can you buy someone a meal? Can you sit down for a cup of coffee with someone? Can you make a friend? And, and so Jesus is hospitable with His disciples and He's showing them the healing and restoration that He's offering them. But, don't miss this, Peter needs something more specific. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's a weird question, isn't it? I didn't think we were supposed to compare ourselves to one another. Jesus is calling Peter out in front of all of them. Six other guys. Hey, Peter, you love me more than everybody? Peter's like, man, I've, I, I haven't had a very good track record the last few days. Look at his reply. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus, Jesus speaks prophetically of what would take place three decades later. Peter's going to live for another 30 years. He's going to remember these words 30 years later at his death. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, imagine what Jesus said. You fill in the blank. Follow me. Peter needed something specific. Jesus asked Peter directly, do you love me more than these? It seems like an odd question. But if we look at Peter's history, we see that he's usually the first in boldly declaring his commitment and love for Jesus. Like he did it back in John 13. He does it over and over again. Peter, you know, he's, he's been courageous so often, but he's also failed in a huge way. His courage turns to fear. His boldness doesn't last. Can anyone identify? And instead... He denies Jesus three times. And now Jesus restores Peter three times by asking him if he loves him. Three different times to mark the three denials. Peter needed to know he was fully restored and fully loved. Peter needed something specific in order to be reminded that he is fully forgiven, fully loved, and fully restored all because of Jesus' work on the cross And it's glorious resurrection. And we need the same thing. So I'm just going to ask you, how about you? How about you? I'm not asking if you believe in Jesus, but are you following Him? Daily. I don't mean are you having a quiet time. I don't mean are you attending the Sunday gathering. I don't mean are you being faithful to show up at a missional community from time to time. Are you following Jesus? Listening to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit and following in obedience to all He directs you. If you aren't, there's a good chance that you need to be healed. Now, when I, when I talk about healing, so Peter finds healing. I mean, there, this, this seems to be the moment for Peter when everything changes. Because He's the leader of the disciples. And you look, if you look at Acts, I mean, Peter just, his life turns in a phenomenal way. Not that, not that he uh, never slips again. We can go to Galatians and see how Paul, uh, rather how, yeah, Paul has to rebuke him at one point. But something took place here in Peter's life that restored relationship with Jesus. And I think for many of us, if we aren't following Jesus... Jesus wants to bring healing in our lives today. But here's the problem. Whenever I preach on healing, usually what happens is everyone, they do the same thing they do when you show them a picture, a group shot, if they're included in. What do we do when we see a group shot? We look for ourselves. Oh, did he get my good side? Am I smiling? Are my eyes open? Like all that stuff. Who do we, we look for ourselves first, right? Because... We live in America, and that's we're individuals, and we think about ourselves a lot. And so, whenever we talk about healing, most people go, oh yeah, I need healing in my life. I got all these wounds, I got this stuff, I, I think about that pastor that did this to me, I think about this spiritual leader and the way that they wounded me. And like, that is a part of healing that needs to take place in our stories. It is. Um... If you have someone who sins against you, the Bible is really straightforward and exactly clear. Go to Matthew 18. If you don't know Matthew 18, if, if this is like question mark, if you don't instantly know what Matthew 18 is about, your takeaway from today is go and read Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him or her 
Go and show them their fault. And you've won your brother back. And what that means is, as Christians who have been forgiven by God, we do not have permission to harbor envy or bitterness in our heart toward a brother or sister or anyone. Brother or sister in Christ or anyone. And so if our brother or sister in Christ sins against us, go and show them their sin. Now, just as a footnote, if you don't know this passage well, if your boss who's not a believer sins against you, don't go and show them their sin. They're going to have no idea what you're talking about. This is for believers, okay? If a believer sins against you, go and show them their fault. I was a small groups pastor at a church here in Memphis. It was a, it was a really large church. And I eventually printed just Matthew 18 on a large sheet of paper. And I had two chairs in my office where people would come in for counseling. And I just hung it on the wall behind them. And when my small group leaders would come in, they would say, well, here's what's going on in my small group. And inevitably, about half the time, I would just say, I'm going to need you to turn around and look at the scripture on the wall, and then I'm going to need you to look it up in your Bible. And they would say, what's that? And I would say, that is going to give you the path that you need to go down for healing. Because inevitably, what they wanted me to do, they would come in and they would triangulate. They would say, in my small group, this person has done this to me, and I need you to fix it. And I would say, I, I refuse to become enmeshed in your triangulation and your mess. This is called gossip, what we're doing right now. Matthew 18 tells you, go and show this person their sin and find forgiveness. Okay? Now, I'm way down a rabbit trail here. This is what most people think about when I talk about healing. And just by the way, if you're like, eh, I don't know if that sounds like a good idea, that sounds like that would be awkward, let me tell you what's more awkward. Look up Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Go there real quick in your Bible. Because this is a lot more awkward than going to a believer and showing them how they've sinned against you. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. We're coming off the Sermon on the Mount and then we're coming off the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's a really confusing verse to a lot of people. It's not talking about forgiveness in the way of justification, like in coming to know Jesus for the first time. It's talking about reconciliation because he's just said in the Lord's Prayer that we should forgive others as God has forgiven us. So he's talking about regularly praying and asking God for forgiveness, uh, just like he has forgiven our debts and we're supposed to forgive the debtors who sin against us as well. And so he's saying, if you don't experience horizontal reconciliation, you're not going to experience vertical reconciliation. There's going to be something that is blocked in your life. Now, all of that is a footnote that, uh, that some of you needed if you didn't know Matthew 18. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make. When, when we talk about healing, most people think about, oh, this person has sinned against me. If they have, go and show them their fault. Here is where I want you to think. When we talk about healing today, I don't want you to first off think about what everyone else has done to you. When we, in this passage, when we think about how does Jesus need to heal me and restore me so that I will begin to follow Him again, if Jesus met you at the place of your last failure, your last doubt, your last sin and mistake, where would He meet you? I want you to think specifically. 
When did you say, okay, God, I think I got it now. When did you say, I'm not going any further? When did you say, well, that's my big leap of faith for now, and that's it? When did you say, I don't know if I can trust you anymore, God, because... Dot, dot, dot. If Jesus met you at the place of your last failure, your last doubt, your last sin and mistake, where would He meet you specifically? And I hope that question hits you like a surprising jalapeno that you didn't know was in your food. Specifically, where would He meet you? These are the places where Jesus wants to bring healing in our lives. He wants to bring healing and restoration. But we have to be willing to follow Him. It's just that simple. Are you willing to go to the cross to identify what that is for you and then give it over, no matter how painful? Jesus requires it if you are to be a true disciple. Turn to Luke 9 and I'll show you. Luke 9, verse 23. Jesus says very simply, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus calls for us to deny ourselves. Our hopes, our dreams... The things that we say are ours, he says, we must live with open hands. And then he says that we are to take up our cross daily. And for many of us, our cross is most often in the area where we need healing. And he calls for us to take it up. You say, how, how, do, how do I find healing? Well, one thing I'll say is that you will not find healing apart from the community that God has given us. This is part of His plan for healing. But if I look at the way that Jesus responded to His Father, if you look at the way of Jesus, I've got three really simple points. And um, Richard and Todd and I have been talking about this a lot. I, don't think, I think this came from Richard, not from me. But if you look at, if you look at Jesus... There was something that happened at his baptism that just, I mean, it sealed his identity. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. If you really receive that message from your earthly father, how powerful would that have been for you? This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. You notice I used the word, if you would have. The majority of men in this room did not receive that message from their father. The majority of men in this room have a father wound. And if you've never explored that father wound, you have tons of healing that needs to take place in your life. Jesus had done the work for 30 years of being faithful. And there was something about, in that moment... His identity was sealed. He knew God's love for him. And you're like, well, of course he knew God's love for him. He was the son of God. But he was also fully man. And so he needed to know the love of the Father. 
And in knowing the love of the Father, what happened when God said, this is my Son, whom I love, and Him I will please. Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And the next thing we see Jesus doing is walking in obedience to the direction that God has for Him, and it's the temptation. The Scriptures usually, if you look at the Greek, it's literally the word, He was thrust out into the desert by the Holy Spirit. Tell me how that makes any sense. To be tempted. Because His identity was sealed. He knew who He was. He only did what the Father called Him to do. And as He walked in obedience to all that the Father called Him to do, He was able to respond to Satan with Scripture that made sense. He, he would look at Satan and say, Hey, you're offering me uh, you know, bread right now when I'm hungry. That makes sense. But He would respond with Scripture. But man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was demonstrating the identity that he had. And as he walked in obedience to all that the Father called him to, he walked with authority. So much so that people said, man, we know his mom. He's just a carpenter. He teaches with authority. We've never seen anything like this. And for most of us, we miss out on number one. We have no idea what our identity is. We hear people say over and over again, you are loved by God and you are liked by God. And it just bounces off our head. And if we don't come to understand our identity, who we are, that we are dearly loved because of Jesus' work on the cross, not because of anything that we've done. If we don't understand our identity, we will try to be faithful men and women who will march in the duty that the church calls us to. And I will tell you that the church will steal your life and keep you from following Jesus if you sign up for all their programs. Jesus didn't tell us to go and make programs. He said go and make disciples. Our identity has to be found in Jesus. And if you say, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, I think the best instruction I have for you is keep coming back on Sundays. Be involved in a missional community and start telling a few people who are around you that you need to find some healing. In fact, we'll, our prayer team would love to pray for you this morning because Jesus desires nothing more than to bring healing to our lives. Our faith is continuous. It doesn't stop. That's why our priority has to be we must fight for rest. And communion with God. If you go back, if you look at Mark 7, our discipleship group was looking at this last week. Jesus, He does all these crazy miracles and then He and the disciples jump in a boat to go off to an isolated place and 5,000 men follow after Him, beat Him to where He's going. Jesus is trying to escape from the crowds. He feeds all these people and then He hikes up a mountain just to be away from people. It was strenuous. Jesus fought for rest. In order to find communion with God. And we have to make it a priority of our life to fight for rest. In order that we would hear from God. So that we can hear His voice and obey. Because that's all that really matters in our lives. If we hear His voice and obey. We will follow Him and live lives of faith. That will produce extraordinary fruit for the kingdom. And God will get the glory. And so Jesus is calling you today. Just like he called the disciples. Follow me. Because it's never too late to be restored. So I'm going to pray for us.
And uh, we're going to take communion together. And if you'd like to be prayed for today, if, if there's an area in your life where you recognize, I need healing. I've walked away from Jesus. I'm not following Him. And I just want somebody to pray over me. We'll be at the back, the buffet in the back, on, um, on your left as you head back. We'll, we'll have, our prayer team will be back there. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, you can come down during the next song, and uh, we'd love just to pray that Jesus would heal you and that, you, that He would give you courage to follow Him no matter what He calls you to do. As we take communion today, if you look on your pews, there's some little trays like this. I invite you to take one. And uh, today, as we take of the bread and as we think about, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Listen, he didn't just mean like that's just a phrase that's supposed to be, you know, carved into the... If you grew up like me in the Southern Baptist Church, do this in remembrance of me. It was carved in the, in the table that was up front. Anybody tracking with me? Okay, so you guys know what I'm talking about. This was not like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to remember the cross and something a long time ago and a decision. No, this is active. This is like, what would it be like today if we said... As we take of Jesus' body, Jesus, would you fill up in me what is lacking? Jesus, would you bring healing and restoration to that moment I thought of a few minutes ago where I doubted you? That we would trust today that as we remember Jesus' work on the cross for us, that His work isn't just something in the past, but it's something that we believe by faith that has power to continue today in our lives. This is His body broken for us. Do this as we remember Him. And this is the cup. He reminds us that His blood was shed for us. He says as often as we do this that we remember the way in which He has given Himself for us. He loves us. He's crazy about us. He always has loved us. He always will love us. Let me invite the band to come up. There are trash cans in the back where you can get rid of these um, as you leave. I just want to invite you today, if you're here, if you're like, man, that message resonated with me. Man, I can identify a lot with Peter. I think I need healing in my life. Our band's going to be, as the band sings, our prayer team will be in the back. We'd, we'd love to pray for you. Stand with us together as we end with a song of worship.